Welcome, yogis, to the Follow the Yogi podcast. My name is Vicki Santana, a recovering people-pleasing, type A personality turned yogi. Each week, you'll hear mind-blowing yoga concepts made easy to understand. You'll receive simple, actionable tips and, at times, exercises to implement into your life. Thanks for spending time with me today. Now let's jump into your weekly dose of Follow the Yogi. I think there's a misconception that yoga philosophy can be difficult to understand and even more difficult to implement in our lives. Nothing could be further from the truth. The word philosophy means love of wisdom. How do we acquire this wisdom? We learn by reading or being taught. Then we apply the lessons to our lives. We might need to repeat this many times with the same concepts. Along the way, unlearning what we know and how we do things takes time. Then after enough application with knowledge and experience, we cultivate our own wisdom. There are some concepts that are easier to understand and easy to apply, and that's the focus of our podcast today. One of my goals with my podcast is to provide you with concepts and theories of long ago in small bite-sized pieces easily digestible, relatively simple to apply in our lives so we can start actually gaining the benefits before we even try to go deeper into the practice. How we get along with people, the relationships that we have in our lives easily play a huge role in our yogic path. If you've ever read the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, you know that it's an education in learning how to get along with others. It was a staple for me for the longest of times, and when I started reading the Yoga Sutras, I realized that truth and wisdom never really changes. Many of the self-help books flooding the market for the last 30 years have their roots in the oldest teachings. Truth is truth. You cannot change truth into something else. We can translate it interpret it differently. We can even phrase it in a more contemporary tone for modern times, but the root doesn't change. This is my love affair with the Yoga Sutras. By going right to the source and finding ways to apply it in my practice, which is also a metaphor for my life. In Yoga Sutra 133, we find the four locks and four keys a practical-as-can-be sutra that gives responses to four major types of behavior people exhibit. The lock is a human behavior that can trigger our behavior. The key is what keeps the mind calmed from the whirlwinds to help us experience or keep us in the state of yoga. In this sutra, Patanjali isn't talking about practicing contemplation, He's offering a quick fix, an immediate response to everyday situations, a simple approach to relationships. To keep our mind calm, we need only practice the key that fits the lock. So here it is translated by Swami Sachitananda, Yoga 133, 1 being the chapter, 33 being the verse in that chapter. 
by cultivating attitudes of friendliness toward the happy, compassion for the unhappy, delight in the virtuous, and disregard toward the wicked, the mind stuff retains its undisturbed calmness. In his commentary, Patanjali's ancient yogic scriptures, Swami Sachinananda says, Remember, our goal is to keep the serenity of our minds. Whether interested in yoga or not, this will help anyone maintain peacefulness through anything. Keep this sutra with you as you move through life and watch how it helps with keeping peace in your mind. I'll state it again. Our goal is to keep the serenity of our minds. In corporate America, there's a phrase, teach me how I am measured and I will show you how I behave. The measurement was always money. So the emphasis is what needs to be done to obtain that financial result. Going back to Yoga Sutra 133, if we keep in mind that our goal now is to keep the calmness of our mind, the way we behave will change drastically. Here's an example. If the goal is to be right, we'll do whatever we need to do to be right, even if it upsets our peace of mind. If we must always be heard by another, we might find ourselves wanting to be understood. We might find ourselves going on and on about a topic just to get validation for not only the story, but the character we play in the story. If the measurement is to be heard, then our actions will be such to get us that result that we're looking for. In this sutra, Patanjali says that there are only four kinds of locks or social obstacles in the world. The four locks are sukha, happy people, dukkha, unhappy people, punya, the virtuous, and apunya, the wicked. At any given moment, you can fit any person, including ourselves, into one of these four categories. Patanjali gives four keys to open these locks. He says that if we always keep these four keys with us, when we come across any of these four locks, we will have the proper key to open it. The four keys are friendliness, compassion, delight, and disregard. Patanjali reminds us that there is a yogic way of approaching all people, no matter what behaviors and attitudes they may be exhibiting at the moment. Lock number one. When you see a happy person, use the friendliness key. This means being able to share in another person's happiness or good fortune. Instead of being jealous or trying to destroy their joy through a bitter attitude or negative verbal comments. Through jealousy, you will not disturb the happy person, but you do disturb your own serenity. So we should always have the friendliness key when we see happy people. And as a reminder, even if we're not in front of this person, extending friendliness is crucial. Because remember, this isn't necessarily 
to provide friendliness towards them, but to maintain a calm mind for ourselves. So this happens whether we're in front of a person, in front of our phone, in front of a computer, anywhere we are. So has this ever happened to you? You're in a less than sparkly mood. Little Mary Sunshine approaches you with tales of how her life is going great. At least that's how we see it. She might actually just be sharing some joy and friendliness, but we might see it as conceited, pushy, overbearing, or just annoying. If our times are not so great or our mood is sour, we will see the interaction through these lenses. Her quote-unquote sunshine might be pissing on my cloudy day, annoying me even more. Hmm... I went on a date with a gentleman almost about a decade ago, and I was in a really good place. I was chipper. After talking about my profession that I love, shared my little yoga studio that I created in my home, and laughed all night. Want to know what I got the next day? Um, I'm sorry, but you're too upbeat. You're a little too happy and definitely a little too confident. I really did not understand what happened, and trust me, I didn't spend time trying to understand it. Not my circus, not my monkey. But as I went further and further into my practice, I began to understand we don't see people as they really are. We see them as we have been or the moods that we're expressing or experiencing in the moment. It might not feel authentic right away to replace envy with friendliness, That's actually great. If you can notice the gap between how you behave and how you actually feel, you'll learn how much weight the negative emotion has in your life. And that's the gem. Maybe for the first time in a long time, we actually notice and acknowledge and process the negative feeling inside of ourselves that feeds the bitterness, the negative verbal comments and or thoughts the external manifestation of jealousy and envy. Just noticing the emotions behind is paramount. You see, when there's a happy person and they're in a mode of expansion and success, the only person that suffers to jealousy and envy is ourselves. Even if we don't say or act on it, the vibration creates enough self-damage that'll keep us trapped in struggle, strife, suffering. Lock number two. When you see an unhappy person, use the compassion key. When someone is upset, try to help them or comfort them if you can. If they need space, then leave them alone after letting them know you'll be there for them when they are ready. Don't take pleasure in seeing someone else suffer, but remember how it felt when it happened to you and have compassion for them. By doing that, you will retain the peace of your own mind. The Dalai Lama is quoted, Through compassion, you find that all human beings are just like you. Let me phrase that a different way. Although the stories change, the pain is the same from one person to another. This is one of those locks that we need to be vigilant about, though. We might have adopted the mindset that the more we hurt, the more we care. We might be confusing hurting on behalf of someone 
as compassion. We might also have adopted the notion, the more we do, the more we will be loved and liked. For some, we find ourselves turning ourselves inside out, not actually using the compassion key, but instead putting ourselves in a sort of competition of proving how much we care. If we're not paying attention to our actions and our intentions, we might find ourselves in a situation where having expectations of the other person to reciprocate equally. That's a slippery slope. And a lot of pressure that we put on other people. Provide the level of compassion that you are able to provide without creating expectations of the other person. Lock number three. When you see a virtuous person, use the delight key. If you see a virtuous person, feel delighted. Do not envy the person, but rather appreciate the virtuous qualities and try to cultivate them in your own life as we rejoice in and appreciate their qualities or inspired by knowing such greatness is possible. Observing noble qualities in others is a virtue of the heart. When others have qualities that we wish we had in ourselves, use that observation as hope that people like that exist and use them as a guide on how to cultivate this for ourselves in ourselves. Instead of envy, learn from them. But also, instead of putting them in a pedestal, incorporate that in ourselves. Lock number four. When you see a wicked, non-virtuous person, use the disregard key. We need to develop equanimity towards those whose actions oppose our values. It would be wonderful if all people always acted with honor and consciousness, but unfortunately, this isn't always the way. We ourselves have acted, spoken, or thought unkindly or hurt another person. So become indifferent to the person who is wicked at the moment. The challenging thing is not to create good versus evil in our mind. They're bad, we're better, yay us! We don't acquiesce, conform, accept, or maybe even agree, but we also do not fight, try to convince, wait for them to change. Instead, we disregard it completely without creating drama or a story in our heads. The four keys work. Every single time, we encounter hiccups when we allow our emotions to filter, justify, reconcile, even get the better of us. I also like this mindset helps us to see things differently. If we're seeking peace of mind, then the actions will be guided to do just that. What I love about the philosophy of yoga is that it helps us see things in a completely different light. It helps us see our own actions and understand ourselves through our actions. It's time to start looking at life as lessons. Everything that we look at, everything that we experience, everything that we process from the outside world can be used to learn about ourselves. The very things that cause us pain and suffering can be turned, looked at differently for our own healing. 
Now, there probably will be time during the healing process that we do back away from things that hurt us. Over time, though, there comes a time in the healing process when we don't turn away from the things that agitate us, but instead we lean into them and actually use the trigger for healing. Let's look at lock number one as an example of leaning into the trigger for healing. When you see a happy person, use the friendliness key. Be happy for their happiness. Many decades ago, this was challenging for me in the area of getting pregnant and staying pregnant. After multiple sessions of IVF and seven miscarriages, I was mad at the world. How could I not be able to do something so simple as procreate? My disappointment, my pain, my frustration was so high, I couldn't be happy for someone else having a child. I started to avoid those that had kids. Going to baby showers was almost unbearable, so I stopped going to those. Essentially, I let those triggers of my inadequacy run my life and make decisions on who I would hang out with, but more importantly, who I would not spend time with. It wasn't hurting anyone but me by being resentful and envious. I laid on top of that the guilt of feeling this way, and whew, I was miserable. See, when we're jealous of someone else's happiness or success, I promise you, they're not suffering. Nope. They're not even thinking about the same thing that we're thinking about. They're going on with their life, happy as can be. The only person that suffers when we are envious, jealous, or unhappy for a happy person is, you guessed it, us. There came a time where I finally had to let go of all of that envy. I finally realized being unhappy because of someone else's happiness didn't take any happiness away from them. Deep down inside, we want to take away the happiness of others unconsciously in the hopes that it eases our own suffering. In daily life, we see people around who are happier than we are, people who are less happy than we are. Some may be doing praiseworthy things and others causing problems. Whatever may be our usual attitude towards such people and their actions, if we can be pleased with others who are happier than ourselves, compassionate towards those who are unhappy, joyful with those doing praiseworthy things, and remain undisturbed by the errors of others, our mind will be very tranquil. 